Thank you so much. Great to be back with Lenexa Baptist Church. You folks are like our family. We have um, literally just, uh, our children have grown up coming here. Uh, we usually do the Faith and Family Day at the Kauffman Stadium. This year that didn't happen, so I feel like I'm, I'm back at home. I have a lot of, uh, I feel like brothers on this staff, especially your pastor and the First Lady, Miss Faith. Thank y'all so much for leading so well. Can we just honor your pastor and his family this morning? Um, Thank y'all. Man, y'all lead, you lead so well. So, and so many others on the staff feel like brothers to me. And then you have Pastor Bill. <laughs> Everybody needs a cousin Eddie. Amen. So that's just, that's, that's just, I'm just kidding. I mean, we love Pastor Bill uh, and Miss Carrie. So, and we pray for Miss Carrie. Uh, so, uh, she's with Pastor Bill. But uh, thank y'all. Uh, so many things have taken place. Like I said, our kids, my daughter, uh, when we first started coming she, to Lenexa, she was 12 years of age. She's now in D.C. She works um, as a communications director there on Capitol Hill. And she was like, please tell them hello. And then my son, who's uh, now working for uh, the ministry I lead, uh, he and his wife, they had their first child this year. And you know what that means? My wife and I, we're now grandparents. We have entered that club, and it is awesome. Her name is Sweet Tea. Her name is Tara, so southern name, Sweet Tea. I wanted to be called Mixmaster Scotty D. That didn't happen. I am now called G-Daddy, and I want to introduce to you Little Jet, who's going to come up on the screen. Look at Little Jet. He is my buddy. He's already got his Alabama jersey on, so he's okay, all right? Uh, but it's just one of those times where I hope uh, you, you, uh, you understand. The reason why we're here is not for me to catch up with you and not for us to kind of have a, a, a good feeling. The reason why we're here is because the tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. That's the reason we're in the house. So as we're gathered, I, I want to talk to you about focus. Uh, anybody got a problem focusing? I mean, just, uh, okay, hands went up quickly. I am like that. I, in fact, a life coach said, if you cannot focus effectively, you'll not be able to finish task effectively. In fact, uh, they'll tell you any, any amount of determination you have will be destroyed by all the distractions you endure. That came true to me when I was uh, doing an event in my life called the Dreaded Marathon, okay? Anybody get involved with running a half marathon, half marathon, full marathon, any of those things? I had some guys sign me up. We started, um, and I decided I was going to do it at the Magic Kingdom because if I was going to die, I could die in the castle, okay? But I, it had it all worked out. So I was going to run the half marathon. Never done it before in my life. We got down to Orlando. 4 a.m. is when they, you have to be in your starting positions. And the announcer came up over the, uh, of the loudspeakers and said, we have 26,000 people running the half marathon. We've got um, 16,000 people running the full marathon. And here's what he said. And we have 1,200 people running the goofy. I don't know about you, I am so competitive. I, I admit that is a fault of mine sometimes. I tell people if I'm playing a senior adult in checkers, I want her crying, okay? So I am very competitive. And I didn't care about a half marathon. I didn't care about a full marathon. I wanted to know what a goofy was. I wanted to be goofy. So I, in my mind, I went ahead, next year I'm going to be a goofy. So I trained all year long. This is what it was. You run the, half, uh, the 10K on Friday. 
then you run the half marathon on Saturday, then you run the full marathon on Sunday, and in my mind, I was like, the viewing of the body would be on Tuesday. I mean, you know, I, I, because there's no way. You can't do that. But I hit the runner's wall. This is what I'm telling you. On mile 20 of the full marathon, I hit something so hard emotionally, physically, that I realized the runner's wall, that's, that's for real. There's two things you battle. You battle the discouragement of your body breaking down, but that's only matched by the distractions of what's going on around you because people are getting cramps, uh, they're falling away. Uh, it, you know, it's just very discouraging and distracting. But the whole point of running that race was not to start. Everybody wants to start. It's not even the point of running. The whole point of running is to finish the race. And I've realized the only way you're going to finish a race is if you focus intensely. Now, I'm going to move this over to the race of life because all of us are running the race of life. It's not, just, not enough to start well. It's not enough to run well. The goal of life is to finish well. And what's scary is if I were to look at it spiritually, if you read your Bible, not many people finish well. I want to finish well. Do you want to finish well? So I started thinking, well, we better get some people that help us along this journey. And I thought about the great apostle Paul. The great apostle Paul, as you know, uh, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his whole life was changed. Jesus didn't become an addition to his life. Jesus became the transformation of your life. Aren't you glad that Jesus changes everything? Jesus changes everything. His entire trajectory was changed. And the apostle Paul now developing, uh, God is using him to birth churches all over the place. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter one, as we listen today about how to finish well, how to focus on finishing well. Because the apostle Paul, as he's writing this book, it's one of the last books he writes, He's at the last part of his life. In fact, he's about to have his life taken from Emperor Nero. And he's writing this book of Philippians. And the overriding joy is that, uh, I mean, the overriding theme of the book is joy. Now, when you think of the, the, the theme being joy, you've got to realize where Paul is writing this book from. He's not writing it from the Hilton or the Marriott. He's writing it from a prison cell in Rome. He is chained to the Praetorian Guard. He's been there for two years after he has served for two years in Judea because of some trumped up charges. So here is a man later in life, experienced all the experiences he's had. He's, at the, he's writing a book about how we can finish well with joy. I don't know about you, but that makes me take notice. And I believe if we stayed in the first chapter of the book of Philippians, there's four arenas of our life that we're going to have to focus well on, okay? The first one is found down in verse 3 about having a proper perspective. Listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon, look at the next word, every remembrance of you. Now, when Paul says he's looking at back at the church at Philippi, he says, every thought I have about you brings joy into my life. Now, if you would, in the margin of your Bible by verse 3, would you just write this reference, Acts 16? Because that is where you have to go back to where Paul met the, or God used Paul to birth the Philippian church. 
Because as Paul is on his second missionary journey, he is split from Barnabas. He is now with Silas. They've got Timothy and they've got Dr. Luke and Silas. And they come into Philippi. And as they approach Philippi, they're trying to find a synagogue. They can't find a synagogue because there's not 50 Jews in the city. They're on European soil. So they find a prayer meeting, and uh, there they lead to Christ the first European convert, a lady by the name of Lydia. And Lydia becomes the host of this entourage. And as they're going about the village and the area, there is this slave girl that tells fortunes. And as she's telling fortune, she sees Paul in this entourage, and she starts uh, uh, throwing accusations at him. In, in fact, if you read Acts 16, you'd think that she's basically heralding the message, but she's using it with scorn. So Paul, the Bible says, got annoyed. And when he got annoyed, that basically means he really wanted to see God work, so he turned around and cast the demon out of her body. So when the, he cast the demon out of her body, the slave girl came in her right mind. Now, most of us, look, you're sitting there going, this is a great story, but you got to go on a little bit further because you got to realize she's a slave girl. Her owners can no longer use her to tell fortunes. So their golden goose is flown away. So you know what they do? They bring Paul and Silas before the courts and they start making accusations against Paul and Silas. And then Paul and Silas are beaten and they're thrown in prison. And Acts 16 verse 25 says this. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Now, I don't know about you, but if that had been Scott Dawson, it would probably say, at midnight, Scott Dawson was complaining and wondering, why is he in prison, okay? But it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Here's what I've realized. Most of us, if we were to be honest, we lose our songs at midnight. When things come down on top of us, we stop focusing on a right perspective and start worrying about our current conditions. And here's the principle. Here it is. Memories will always shape your moments. Memories will always shape your moment. Whatever you choose to focus on, that becomes the way you're walking through it. Because a lot of us would love to have great opportunities in our life. We don't like great challenges. We love great opportunities. You know the difference between great opportunities and great challenges? It's perspective. Because in every great opportunity, you're going to have challenges. And in every great challenge, you're going to have great opportunities. You see, all of us could walk out of here and complain about everything that's going on in our life. Some of us like to do that, but it is what we choose to focus on and in our perspective. We all have that story. In fact, um, uh, when I was young, I was in elementary school. I grew up before this generation of participation trophies. Amen? Okay. So I, I, I'm not used to that. And so well, I was the child, if you remember, if you remember these days, when at, usually after lunch, the teacher, another teacher would come in and call a couple of students out of the room to go into another room and, and you know, learn something. Mine was a speech impediment. I had what you called a lazy tongue. You couldn't understand what I was saying because it was a lazy tongue. So I'd have to stand in front of a mirror. I'd have to enunciate. I'd have to pronounce. And uh, I was so embarrassed every single time. I don't know why, but I was embarrassed every single time they called me out of the room. 
But later on in life, let me just go ahead and tell you the rest of the story. Uh, after Tara and I got married, uh, I had to have some dental surgery. And it was during that surgery, I remember waking up in the middle of the surgery. And all I remember is the nurse going, what was that? And the doctor going, oh, it's nothing. And I fell back asleep. <laughs> well, when I woke up, everything was okay but my tongue. I, I had no feeling in my tongue. And when a preacher can't hold his tongue, watch out. Okay, anyway. No. Um, so hours turned into days, days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months. I, I have no, I'm just going, still to this day, I have no feeling in my tongue. If I stop, if I'm preaching and I stop, I'm not having a moment. I'm just trying to figure out where my tongue is, okay? So, so y'all hang on, give me some, give me a break, all right? Um, but let me tell you what I had to do. I, I had to stand in front of a mirror as a grown man. And everything I learned as a child that I thought was just so humiliating, now was the only platform we had to continue on in ministry. You see, God's, look at me, God's working in your circumstances right now. It, it's whatever our perspective is. Paul had a proper perspective. He said, every remembrance of you, it brings joy. You know why? Because if you continue on reading Acts chapter 16, you know that after midnight they were praying and singing praises, a great earthquake occurred. And the earthquake occurred and opened up all the prison doors. You're like, wow, they were set free. No, no one moved. Not, not only Paul and Silas didn't move, none of the other prisoners moved. I believe they were scared to death. They were in their prison cells going, man, if those guys can call something like this, I'm not going out there, all right? So I believe they were scared. But here's what happened. The meanest man in town, the Philippian jailer, he came running in. He was going to take his life because back in those days, if a prisoner escaped, the jailer would have to carry out the, uh, suffer the punishment that prisoner who escaped was going to have on him. So he was about to kill himself, and Paul says, don't harm yourself. We've not moved. And that's when the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Now, I want you to hear this. Because at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises unto God, the Philippian jailer, notice, he didn't have to go cell by cell by cell by cell to go, was it you? Was it you? Was it you? He knew exactly where to go. So how we respond in these circumstances can become a contagious platform for the gospel if we have the right perspective. Does that make sense to you? If we're going to finish well, I can't simply walk around all the time going, woe is me. I've got to be walking around going, look at him. He is working in this situation. We've got to have a proper perspective. Not only do you have to have a proper perspective, let me go to the second arena of our life. We, we've got to have proper prayers. When I talk about proper prayers, I want you to go to the next verse. Listen to what he says down in verse 4. He says, uh, and I'll read it from here. He says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests. This is where you can tell Paul was from southern Tarsus, okay? He says, for you all. I believe the correct enunciation is y'all, okay? For requests for y'all with joy. He says, and I'm praying for you. Not only do you understand my perspective is crystal clear that God's working through all this, I, I'm praying for you. Now, I'm not going to say you can't pray for yourself, but I, I do have to ask you, is our prayer life more about making us comfortable or carrying out the Great Commission? 
Because a lot of us just want to kind of focus on our, me, myself, and mine and make us more, more comfortable. In fact, someone told me, he said, you can really understand how deep your faith is by the amount of prayers you, you usher up. Because it's one thing to talk about God. It's another thing to talk with him. And Paul says, I'm praying for you. I, I don't want you to understand. I, I'm not even asking you to pray for me. It reminds me when I was in a country under very oppressive leadership to Christians. I was meeting with pastors, and I thought I was going to be an encouragement to them. I, I was trying to figure out how in the world I could get our, our conference speakers over there to encourage them. We were going to develop this, this big thing. And here's what a pastor said. He said, you Americans... He said, y'all always have plan A, B, C, double L. He said, you've got all these plans. He said, we got one plan. God shows up or we die. And he said, if you want to pray for us, listen to what he said. He said, if you want to pray for us, don't pray that the persecution stops. Pray that our boldness increases. It's okay. It's all right. You're good. You're good. Your prayer life. I really, you want to know why I love Pastor Chad? There's so many reasons. But he prays for you. We were talking, he didn't know I was going on this thing, but yesterday he was like, man, I go through those ministry cards because I'll, and I just felt his heart, his burden for his people. And you know what I believe he prays? Like Paul prays for the Philippian church. There's four areas that Paul distinctly prays for that's found here in Scripture. If you will, just, just kind of go with me down to verse 9. Listen to the first thing he prays for. He says, I pray that you, um, your love may abound. And when you see that your love may grow, notice that there's the, the word Paul uses here is not the word eros. It's not talking about a romantic love. I, I don't believe leaders pray that you find the right person, okay? ChristianMingle.com. Right. He's not praying for, for you to find the right person. He's not using the word philo, the friendship love. Like most of us parents, we're praying for our kids to find the right community group. Paul's not praying for that. The word Paul uses for your love may grow is the word agape. It is literally for God's love to consume your life. Number one, for you to fall so desperately in love with him that you know that he sees tomorrow like you and I remember yesterday, so you have that proper perspective. But not only that, for you to understand how much he loves you, for you to love him. That your love may just grow in a relationship with Jesus. Not only that your love may grow, the second thing is that you'll have knowledge and discernment. Now, notice knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Not that you're smarter, but Paul is saying the knowledge of God. Where do you know the knowledge of God? In his word. Your pastor's praying that you will hide God's word in your heart, that you will not sin against the Father. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that you know that we have someone who's an advocate for us. That not only do you accumulate the facts of knowledge, but Paul says that you have discernment. Now, what is discernment? Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Discernment is the ability to apply those facts in your everyday life. That you realize how the Word of God is played out in our lives every single day. So Paul says, I pray that your love will grow. I pray that you have knowledge and that you have discernment. The third thing he prays is for a spirit of excellence. Listen to what he says here. He, he says that you may approve the things that are excellent. That you won't settle for good enough. I, I, the one thing I love about Lenexa, everywhere you go, there's a mark of excellence around this facility, around your fellowship. You guys are pursuing. You're not settling for the media. Even though, let's be honest, mediocrity is attractive every once in a while. Okay? It, it, it is. But I couldn't stay there. 
I want to pursue excellence in everything I do. And the final thing he says is I want you to be sincere. When he says sincere, that means without hypocrisy. You want to know what every biblical pastor prays for his, his congregation? That we realize we don't come to church. We realize we are the church. And everywhere we go, we're the same people in church on Sunday mornings as we are in the boardroom on Tuesday, in the, in the classroom on Thursday. That we go out and we live it consistently. Paul says, that's what I'm praying for. If we're going to finish well, not only are we going to have a proper perspective, we're going to have a proper prayer life. I'm not saying you can't pray for yourself, but I'm going pray for God's commission to be carried out. The third thing we're going to have is not only a proper uh, prayer and a proper uh, perspective, but we're going to focus on the arena of the proper person. With this, I want you to go down to verse 13. Listen to what Paul says with this up on the screen. He says, so that it has become evident that the whole palace guard, do me a favor, would you underline that in your Bible, whole palace guard? We're going to come back to it in just a second. The whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in who? Who? Come on now, breathe. All right, Christ, that you realize that that's who we're focusing on. Because I'm not asking you this morning if you believe. You've come to church at 11 a.m. I know, in fact, you know, it's happening across our country. I told this earlier. The latest stat from Gallup says 92% of Americans say they believe in a personal God. That the last time they did that survey, 87%. I think we've gone through so much in these last few years. Everybody's now going, man, there's got to be something out there because we're certainly not in control. So I'm not asking you if you believe in God. But do you know there are three different asp- uh, 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 tracks, if you will, about belief. And how you believe will determine your response in every situation. A lot of people have an intellectual belief. Now, that's probably where where a lot of church people would be. They go, yeah, I got intellectual belief. It's not enough just to have intellectual belief. That's knowing the facts in your head. That's, That's knowing that we're sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If I were to ask you that question, you'd probably say, oh yeah, I know I'm a sinner. If you don't know you're a sinner. Let me just go ahead and prove it to you. If you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now, okay? Just keep it up, keep it up. With your hand in the air, look around the room right now. If someone doesn't have their hand up, look at them really mean right now. (laughs) We're all sinners. You're not the only one that's messed up. We've all been infected with this thing called sin. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We understand that if you think through it. That's fact. Fact that Jesus came and lived a sinless, perfect life. That you realize for 33 years he walked among us and he never once said, pay me. He didn't say, thank me. He said, follow me. We know fact that he had to die on the cross because of our sin. There had to be a payment for that sin because God is holy. Bill uh, sang about that just earlier. He is holy. And because he is holy, I can't come into his presence because of my sinfulness. I am separated from that. But when Jesus died on the cross, he was the one who bridged the gap between God and man together again. Fact that Jesus went to the tomb and a big stone was rolled in front of the tomb. And on the third day, the stone was rolled away. Ladies and gentlemen, I was in Israel in late May, early June. I went to the tomb. Here's the good news. It's still empty today. Amen? fact, Jesus Christ is alive. Now, some of you may be sitting here going, well, I believe all that. I must be okay. If you believe all that, good job. But if that's all you got, 
The Bible teaches us that that's the same type of a faith as the demon has. They know Jesus died on the cross. They know he resurrected. They know he's alive. It's not an intellectual faith that's going to save you. It's certainly not an inherited faith. You know what an inherited faith is? Well, my parents are a Christian, so that's, my spouse is a Christian, so that should make me a Christian. No. It's like if you were born in McDonald's, it doesn't make you a Happy Meal. Amen? All right. It just doesn't happen. There's got to be something real in your life. So it's not an intellectual faith. It's not an inherited faith. It's what Scripture teaches an intimate faith. It is that you're sitting in this room, and Jesus is not the God of multiple choice to you. He's not the religious figure of choice. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. That you realize when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for your sins. You you realize that when he resurrected, he indwells your body. You've come into a relationship with him. Here's the question i got to ask you before you walk out this door. Has Jesus Christ changed your life? Because Jesus changes everything. I'm so thankful he changed my life. And this morning, wherever you are across this room, if you don't know him, in just a few moments, we're going to have an invitation. And you're going to be able to come and receive Christ into your life. You're going to be able to walk out here, what the Bible says, a new creation. You don't turn over a new leaf with Jesus. He makes you a brand new tree. You got to have the focus on the proper person. You've got to have the focus on the proper prayer. You got to have a focus on the proper perspective. Let me tell you the final thing, and then we're done. You've got to have a proper purpose if you're going to finish well. If you, if you have the purpose, you're going to finish well. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1.21. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you don't know your purpose, you'll always be wandering around. A lot of people in this world, they, they really don't know their purpose for existence. Some are here this morning. You don't know why God, what, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Why, what is driving me? I hope you can put your purpose statement down on paper. I've got mine. Mine is wherever people are, the gospel needs to be shared. That's what I live for. That's what I breathe. That dictates everything about my life. Wherever people are, the gospel must be shared. To Paul, he says, for to me to live is Christ. If I were to ask you for you to live, what would you have to fill in that blank? For some, it'd be sports. For some, it's hobbies. For some, it's that, uh, that salary, that, that, that level of living. For some of you, it's that special person. Can, can you just listen to me for a second? All of those things I just mentioned could be taken away in a moment. You got to live for something that's eternal, not temporal, not momentarily. Paul says, for me to live, that's Christ. And to die, that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning. Remember earlier I said to underline the whole palace guard? That, that is going to the Praetorian guard. That's the, that's the elite forces. That's the special ops. That's who Paul was around because he was, in, he was writing to the church in Philippi from a prison in Rome. And all day, every day, Paul was chained to the Praetorian guard. Well, I don't know if they had unions back then or not, but they would rotate them in and out. And so every time a new Praetorian guard would come, instead of Paul going, my goodness, look at this. You know what he was doing? He was like, here comes another one. Let me share Jesus with him. A historian wrote that when Paul was beheaded by Emperor Nero, catch this, 
67 Praetorian guards that day were executed for their Christian faith. He carried it out and said in the next two weeks, they've documented 10,000, listen to this, 10,272 other people were executed for their beliefs. Why? I can't help but believe this old man chained in a prison just sharing Jesus with everyone that he came in contact with. Paul wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to preach in Rome. He didn't want to be a prisoner. Catch this, though. Look, look. But he went to Rome as a prisoner so he could preach. Some are in this room right now. You're looking for the perfect scenario for you to step up. You're waiting for maybe everybody in your office to get saved, and then you're going to step up. Some of you are waiting for all your friends to start following Jesus. They ain't going to step up. Paul says, I already know my purpose. And my purpose is not dictated by my situations or anyone else's condition. My purpose is only fixated to be found faithful to the cause of Christ. You going to finish well? You got to start. Some of you, that's where you got to start. You got to start with Jesus this morning. You've never met him. Now, some of you have got to Run well, you're limping. But the whole goal of this life is to finish well. To finish well and to be found faithful in his sight. William Borden was a, um, he, he was a member of the Borden dynasty. They were one of the wealthiest families of the day. Uh, and when he graduated high school, his family gave him a trip around the world. Now when my daughter graduated, we gave her a camera, okay? So I don't want any of you who have seniors go, well, my goodness, I can't afford a trip around the world. Well, but it was on the trip around the world, though, when William met Jesus. He met, he got, he met Jesus, came back, went to Yale University. When he got to Yale University, he was, he was so on fire for Jesus. It's said that by the time he graduated, over 1,000 Yale University students had received Christ because of his ministry. Wouldn't we love to see that happen today? Come on. He got done with school. His parents said, name yourself a salary. Give yourself a title. It's all yours. But William said, no, I'm called to be a missionary. So he went over to Egypt. He was learning Arabic. He wanted to get the, the gospel to the Muslim region. And that's when they discovered he had um, cranial spinal meningitis. It was terminal. There was no hope. He died before he was 25 years of age. They shipped his possessions home. His dad opened the crate, and it said on the top of the, his possessions was his Bible. It was said that after he had met Jesus, William Borden was never away from his Bible. Wouldn't that be a great testimony for us? So his dad opened up his Bible, and on the inside front cover, there were three life events and two words that described each event. The first life event was when he met Jesus. That's where he started. Had out beside it two words, no reserves. The second life event was when he turned down the family fortune and was going into missions, had out beside it two words, no retreat. The third life event was when he was found to be terminally ill and he was about to die, had out beside it two words, no regret, no reserves, no retreat, no regret. He finished faithfully. Started out with running. Gave you an illustration about running. Let me close on it. 1992 in Barcelona, Spain, the Summer Olympics, there was a UK sprinter named Derek Redmond. He was one of the fastest men God's ever created. 
It was not a question of is he going to win, it's how far will he be ahead of the second place person. But in the quarterfinal of the 400 meters, something took place about a third to a half away into the run. He had an, uh, he had an injury. His, his hamstring literally popped and he fell to the track. Everyone else rushed on ahead of him, finished the race. But the crowd started turning back towards Derek because something strange was taking place. Derek was struggling to try to get back up on his feet. And he could not put any weight on the leg. Something was happening in the stands. There was a gentleman trying to get through the crowd to get onto the track. Eventually, the security led him aside. He came on the track. And when he got to Derek, Derek literally lunged into his arms. It was Derek's father, Jim. And later on, Jim accounted on what took place on that track is when Derek fell into his arms, Derek had one statement. Dad, I must finish this race. To which Jim replied, then we will do it together. And they finished the finish line together. Here, here's what I'm telling you. You were never meant to run this race by yourself. You were never called to be the Lone Ranger. You were, you were never called to be the, the person in isolation. I'm asking you this morning, whatever situation you're in, would you place yourself and just lunge into your father's arms? I'm gonna ask Bill and the invitation team to come and get ready because we're gonna go into the time of invitation. I know you're busy. I'm busy. I got things going on this afternoon just like you. But could this be the moment where if you just give an opportunity for God to divinely intersect your life, some of you are here this morning, you don't know Jesus. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not even saying you're an immoral person. I'm just saying you're, you're without hope. You have no peace and you have no purpose. I'm asking you this morning to come and trust Jesus. You say, well, man, I, I, I'm living for anything I can right now. I understand that. Isn't it a perilous pursuit? Aren't you tired? Come to Jesus. Some are in this room going, well, I know Jesus, but man, I'm going through so much of a struggle right now. You're wounded. This is not a job interview. If it's a job interview, I'm competing. This is basically a, a mash hospital for wounded souls. So you can come to Jesus just as you are. If you're sitting there going, well, I, need you, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm ready yet, he never asked you to clean yourself up before you came to it. How many of you love to fish? Do we have any fisher people in the house? You know what I've realized about fishing? I've never caught a cleaned fish. So when I catch them, that's when I got to clean them up. So don't wait to try to clean yourself up. Just come to him as you are. This morning, if you're in this room, you don't know him. Let me speak specifically to you. If you're listening, if you're watching, it's not by running up and down these aisles. It's not by screaming the top of your lungs. It's one word called surrender. Paul says, whosoever, I love that word because it means me, it means you. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved will be saved. How do you call upon him? I'm just gonna ask you to surrender your heart. It's, it, it's by a prayer. I don't know a better way to lead you to Christ than by a prayer. And that prayer is not screaming, it's surrender. It, it's not reciting, it's not a ritual. It's you saying, Jesus, come in. In fact, think about it like this. Revelation three, behold, I stand at your door and knock. He doesn't bust the door down. He's a gentleman. He's knocking. Will you open the door this morning? 
And I'd love to lead you. I'm not, I'm, not a, I, I'm, I'm not a psychic. I don't know what's going on in this room. I told people, I said, there was a psychic network on television. It went bankrupt. If they were psychics, wouldn't they have seen that coming? Amen? All right, so. Look at me. I'm not a psychic. I'm just one person that's been changed by Jesus. That says he can change your life. If you'll just call upon him right there where you are. So I'm just going to ask every head's bowed, every eye's closed. No embarrassment, no humiliation. Right there in the privacy of your own space. As I pray this prayer out loud, would you just pray this prayer inside your heart? It goes like this. Dear God, I know I've done some things wrong. But I know you love me. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Help me to love you. Thank you, God. I'm just going to ask if everyone would just lift your face and look right up here at me because I want you to understand the roof didn't part. And you could be sitting there going, okay, I prayed that prayer, now what? It doesn't matter what Scott Dawson says. It matters what Jesus says. And if you sincerely, earnestly prayed that prayer, no one can ever take Jesus away from you. He's not a God that's gonna play games in your life. He's a God that wants to plant roots in your life. So in just a few moments when we stand, I want you to hear me very clearly. I'm gonna invite you to do something. If you prayed that prayer, since you prayed that prayer, when you stand, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. If you're in the balcony, you come down the aisles. If you're in here, down here, just come. There's going to be some men and women down here in the front. You grab their hands and say, I prayed to receive Jesus. You say, whoa, adding something to it. No, I'm not adding. You know what Jesus says? The author and finisher of our salvation. Here's what he says. He says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. I just don't want you to walk out here with a half-truth. There is nothing called a silent relationship with Jesus. In just a few moments when we stand, I'm going to ask you to come forward and just grab a hand and say, I prayed to receive Jesus. If you're not willing to tell a bunch of Christians in this room that you're a follower of Jesus, are you going to be able to go back to your business, go back to your home, go back to your life and live for him? I, I just don't want you to walk out here with a half-truth. You may be the only one that comes. It's nothing about embarrassment. It's just to come and confess Jesus, the Lord of your life. Don't let anyone rob you of this moment. This is your moment. Come to Jesus. Now we're going to pray, and then after we pray, we're going to stand. Heads are bowed. Father, all across this room, for those who prayed that prayer, will you give them boldness and guts like they've never known before to confess you as their Lord? God, we pray for those inside this room that are walking through some struggles. God, I pray that they will not just hunker down and uh, stay in the shrapnel of this thing called life. But God, I pray that they will just reach out and allow a brother or a sister to come walking along with them. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us. Father, this morning, this invitation, show up and show off for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.